Jesus, <laughs> this is a situation. All roads lead back to Steven Universe. They do. <laughs> oh god, they need to put on another equally good show so I don't just have to like be wrapped up completely in like I don't have to just think about one 10 minute long Steven Universe episode for months. <laughs> That's what the hiatuses are doing is they're training us to live a life without Steven Universe. <laughs> See, Rebecca Sugar is playing 20, 20 D chess here. <laughs> but oh, I've, Lord. Uh, yeah, we're here to talk about recess, so let's do that. Let's talk about recess. Yeah, we can just let me know when you start and I can I've say hey. I've already started. Oh, okay. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Animates, the podcast that rambles incoherently at the beginning of every episode. <laughs> About 95% of the time, it is Steven Universe. I'm, <laughs> I'm Chris. Yeah, and if you didn't hear me because I was also laughing, I'm Paige. So we, um, the, despite what you might expect, this episode is not about Steven Universe. Um, we are discussing our final Disney show for the first pass here yep and we are talking about the show recess which i find that that is one that pretty much everybody watched and remembers fondly uh probably partially because it was airing continuously for like almost 20 years (laughs) it's a show that i knew a lot and it was oh it wasn't 20 years it was like 10 years um it was it was at least 15 years it was airing it premiered in 1997 was airing continuously in syndication until 2011 no 2014 it was airing continuously in syndication until 2014 wow okay i missed that what wow yeah it was recess was being aired on some channel continuously from 1997 until 2014. I don't know. Disney has milked that cow. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what to say about that other than geez. I mean, it's a good show, but like, I don't know if it's that good. There's more recess (laughs) on TV than there is in schools. Oh, Really, though, there's a serious problem with cutting recess in schools. You should research it. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, I feel like for kids today watching recess, they're like, what is that? Those kids get 40 minutes of recess a day. As should be. As should be. At least, like, because, okay, they mentioned one time 40 minutes of recess, but then they also mentioned having, like, two recesses which used to be really common so it's unclear to me surely they don't get two 40 minute recesses surely they get two 20 minute recesses it would be absurd to have two 40 minute recesses but still that's more recesses than kids get now yeah it would be absurd Um, Mm -hmm. bring back recess yeah for sure so recess ran on disney and it originally started airing. It would have been new when I was watching TV because mm-hmm. it began airing on ABC in 97. So I would have been, and I, I would have seen the first couple of seasons as new, though uh, 
like Paige said, it's been syndicated for a very long time. And mm-hmm. it ended officially on 2001. Like, it's it's run. Yeah. Ended. Yeah. And with our couple, with our three-year age difference, um, and the fact that I mostly watched, like, PBS and Nick Jr. as a small child... Um, I would have been watching it primarily after they finished producing episodes. I watched it mostly on Disney and Toon Disney. I <laughs> definitely remember it more on Disney, though. Or I, I never kept track of exactly what stations I was watching as a kid. I just, like, the TV was on, and I, I watched it. But AB, <laughs> ABC would have would have had it on, so... I uh, I loved this show because it appealed to my sense of adventure, and I loved the, the Ocean's Eleven side of the show. There, there was always a plot, always a scheme, always teams of people working together on cooperative ideas, lots of moving parts, mm-hmm. really just... Uh, a, a romp, so yeah. to speak. As a kid, the way I felt about it is it's like, it wasn't my favorite show, but I enjoyed it. You know, when I would be watching like a block of cartoons and there would be like an hour of recess as, as part of it, I would be like, okay, yeah, this is good. It's a good show. And that's kind of how I feel about it as an adult too. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, this is my favorite show that we've watched, but you know, it's entertaining. I right? guess it's, it's going to be the pepperoni pizza of shows. Yeah, kind of. It's like, this is fine. There's no real real complaints. I mean, I have complaints about underlying ideology, but in terms of the entertainment value of the show, yeah, no no real complaints. Alright, so this would have been airing... I, I feel like Rugrats had animation influences on the show. Well, okay. There's a big Rugrats connection because Paul Germain... One of the creators of Rugrats co-created and co-produced Recess with a with production partner Joe Anselaire, blah, 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 complicated to say name, um, who was also an uh, editor and producer in the first season of Rugrats. And timing-wise, it makes sense why Paul Germain didn't return to Rugrats after the hiatus, because he would have moved on to make Recess. So that connection, I'm glad you picked up on that. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, This show was specifically produced by Walt Disney TV Animation. So this, this from the ground up, was a Disney show. Mm -hmm. And uh, overall, they had... A, it's more of an ensemble show. There's quite a quite a large cast of recurring characters. Um, my favorite is the dig the dig the digger twins. The diggers, who it appears, I always assumed that they were literally twins, but there's an episode that leads me to believe that they're not even related. No, I actually don't think they are. I remember that fairly clearly that they're not related. They just look alike. And I always, Bizarre. I always thought they were girls, believe it or not. And they're really, not. yeah. I always, I always thought that they were girls, and they are, they're, mm-hmm. they're guys. Mm-hmm. Most people just stereotypically would have pegged them as as two boys, but I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I thought they were girls. 
well, aren't you progressive? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's actually, um, there is like a little bit of a weird gender thing in the show that I noticed. Um, just like one of the like really slight things that, uh, so side characters in this show tend to have nicknames and all of the boys have nicknames like hustler kid or it's uh, always something that ends in kid, right? Whereas all the girl side characters, their nickname ends in girl, swinger girl, corn chip girl, upside down girl. All the girls don't ever get called something kid. It's always very clear that they're a girl. Kid, I guess, stands in as a male pronoun. Yeah, kid is gender neutral, right? So it's weird that all of the dude side characters get to be something kid, which is gender neutral, but the girl side characters, it's specifically girl. They never get the kid. Um, I guess it would technically be an epithet, not in the sense of something mean, but just the sense of a name that you call someone that's not their official name. That's a good catch. Yeah. Yeah, that was a small one that I noticed. The, there is, like, despite the very large cast recurring characters, uh, there is the core central group of six kids who, I, I, I don't know why, I remembered Ashley Spinelli being an Asian character, but she's totally not, um, I don't know why I remembered it that way, but... I was about to say the group is diverse, and then I realized that it's... No, it's not. It's five white kids and one black kid. Yeah. Um, and what's hilarious is on the Wikipedia, when they write the blurb about each of the kids, they make a point to say, like, what flavor of white each of them are. They, like, make a point to point out that, like, TJ and Mikey are German-American... Gretchen is Irish-American, Spinelli is Italian-American, and Gus is Polish-American. It's like, you're not going to fool us into thinking this is a diverse show. It's not. Um, I, uh, it's kind of like, there's one type of chocolate and five types of vanilla. It's like vanilla, vanilla, vanilla bean, sweet cream. French vanilla. French <laughs> vanilla. <laughs> Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Another, like, small thing that I noticed is that, okay, so Vince is the one black character, and he's, like, cool. He's a great character. He has complexities to him. You know, he's a really positive character, but classic 90s, like, accidental racism (laughs) The one kid in the black show is the coolest kid on the show and super athletic. Like, the black kid is great at all sports and super duper cool. Uh, We do see his older brother is a big-ass nerd, though. Giant nerd. Giant nerd. Yeah. But that's just one of those things where it's like, it's like the same thing that we noticed with Rugrats where it's like, Well, no, it's even different. It's just, like, those are stereotypes that are frequently associated with black men. Like, they're positive stereotypes, but they're still stereotypes, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, the the cast is comprised of TJ, who's the the ringleader, the, the charisma, 
charisma person, the, the visionary. I, hey, there's a charisma person in every group like this. In Ocean's Eleven, it was George Clooney. And in this show, it's TJ. We're just going to adopt the term charisma person as part of the lexicon. Um, Vince is the cool person, right? Mm-hmm. Vince Pierre LaSalle. LaSalle. Uh, LaSalle. LaSalle. Um, <laughs> oh, and on the wiki, it says Vince is the most physically fit student at the school, period. <laughs> So it's not, it's not just the fourth grade, which all of these kids are in. It is in the fucking school, including sixth graders. That, that time where you want to make a really, really, really good impression with the black community. And you're like, check it out. This character can literally go to the moon with his moonwalk. Oh Um, my God. (laughs) <laughs> sorry that's that's just really funny uh ashley spinelli she goes by spinelli which is the most italian thing ever mm-hmm. um uh-huh naturally she's a thug i'm just starting to realize how much these people fit into these stereotypes oh um, yeah no the show is extremely cliched they rely heavily on tropes so Spinelli is uh ta- she's the tomboy of the group. She's you know into wrestling and she's always the first one to meet obstacles with aggression. And she's like the one who doesn't want to look kind and she's railing against the soft girl stereotype. Mm-hmm. Uh Gretchen, who's my favorite because I identify with her a lot. Um Gretchen is the nerd the nerd character. She's, yeah, she's like, but she's not just like, Gretchen isn't just a nerd. She's a legitimate, like, prodigy. child prodigy. You know, like an Einstein, Mozart level child prodigy. They literally bring in a dude who looks like Einstein. To On multiple occasions, actually. <laughs> like, she interacts with someone who looks like Einstein on multiple occasions. So she she's incredibly intelligent, but uh, like I don't know, positive portrayal of an academically gifted character. She's never, I don't know, punished. She's never like mocked or punished for being academically gifted. Like everybody around her thinks that it's like cool how smart she is. Um, Mike. Mikey Bloomberg. So Mikey's the big kid. Naturally, the big kid is also kind-hearted. And mm-hmm. he's a blooming gamo. Oh, totally gay. Extremely. And, like, we we might be falling into our own trap here because, like, he's, he's just kind of a feat, you know? <laughs> Like, that kid's gonna like the dick. Come on, you know. It. Yeah, he's gay. <laughs> That's a gay child. <laughs> um, I, no, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't like ascribe sexuality to a group of kids who are probably just starting to hit puberty. But as a resident queer myself, mm. with a PhD, no less. <laughs> 
I I I diagnose him with a big old case of gay. <laughs> and we would be lucky to have him. Um, yeah, he's so talented. Love he's Mikey. Very ta- he's a good he's he's a pretty solid poet for a fourth grader. Yeah, excellent poet for a fourth grader, incredible singing voice, and honestly, like not actually bad at ballet, just large. And he can quote Shakespeare off the cuff. Like his yeah, and his parents he's well read. I, I think when you think about him, it, it looks less like he's playing an effete character when you see his parents. Because his parents yeah. are the same way. Oh yeah, for sure. They're like hippies. So so really when you look at him, he could he could theoretically be the straightest kid that has ever lived. And, and he would still end up showing these characteristics because his parents were like Encourage too. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So but still. But even yeah. still. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. We've got And then we have Gus. Gus, who is sort of our resident meek slash geek character. Uh, yeah. And kid. he provides a like convenient device for the show because he is he is the new kid to the school, so whenever they need to explain something about the universe of the show, they just have Gus say, like, I don't know what that is, and so they can easily have a reason to do exposition. And it feels kind of like he might be a stand-in for one of the writers on the show. Like, Mm -hmm. he was the new kid, and these are the kind of people that they met. Yeah. Uh, Like, I I, I can just see one of them talking about, like, having that kind of experience. Yeah, and he's an an army brat, um, and believes, like, strongly in in safety. Yeah. He's he's kind of a he's kind of an anxious child, but um, he's sort of like if we were gonna map the Rugrats onto this show, he would be like a Chucky type character. Yes, Chucky, Chucky, and car- and he's he even has the same freaking glasses as Chucky does. Like, <laughs> yeah, just a more grown up version. <laughs> just a more grown up version of Chucky's square glasses. Mm-hmm. So. Speaking of which, the other Rugrats connection on this show is that Kath Susie provides, like, I don't know. No way. All of the side characters' no voices. No way. I never would have guessed. <laughs> it's not like everyone in the background of the show sounds like Kath Susie. <laughs> I, I, it's not like I was expecting it because I totally was. <laughs> Butch, all of the kindergartners. <laughs> Even some adults. But see, that connection makes total sense because surely, surely Jermaine would have brought, would have known her. Yeah. And like, she's just like one of the, like, she was like one of the most prolific voice actors of the 90s. Like, you can't really find a show that she didn't work on in the 90s. And then she abruptly disappears because she retired from voice acting in the early 2000s. So I should say. Give credit to the voice actors here. Uh, TJ was voiced by Ross Maline, Malinger, Maliner, I don't, Maliner in season one, but uh, Andrew Lawrence took over in season two throughout the show's run. Vince was played by Ricky Collins. Ashley Spinelli was played by Pamela Aldlin. Aldlin. Gretchen was played by Ashley Johnson. 
Mikey was played by Jason Davis, but sung by Robert Goulet, as is very common for voice acting parts. There's a voice and a sing voice. And then Gus was voiced by Cortland Mead, which sounds like a street or a brand of mead and not a name. <laughs> now, there are yeah. side characters that we should address here. One is the sort of uh, antagonist teacher, Miss, Miss Finster. Finster. Not Mrs. Mm. Miss. Yeah, Miss Finster. Rhymes with spinster. Very subtle. <laughs> but she the, has an interesting history. She, she was, does. She's fascinating. She was a Navy Commodore. Yeah. She, so she was in Guam. And she she's had an interesting life. Although she is like a very tough. She's, uh, she, she's one of those teachers that revels in her students' displeasure. Yeah, it's like they, like, have enough episodes where they try to humanize her that they, like, you feel bad for, like, hating her because they give her, like, backstory. But then you're like, no, she's just, like, a cruel, like, authoritarian. She loves to, she loves to psychologically torment the children and, like, takes pleasure in punishing them. <laughs> like, she makes their life hell. One of her favorite pastimes is to devise new and worse forms of punishment. Yeah. She invents, like, in, in season one, we'll probably get to this um, after we finish going over characters. The box! The box! Yeah, she invents, like, a form of psychological torture to punish the children with. Which is basically just, like, solitary isolation for babies. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that... Their their regular teacher. So Miss Finster, Miss Grokey. Miss <laughs> Finster is, she's not even a teacher in the classroom. She's an assistant teacher, and she basically monitors the kids. No, she's a classroom teacher. She teaches fifth grade, but um, she's not their classroom teacher. They only interact with her because she always has recess and cafeteria duty. So Miss Grokey. Is their homeroom teacher? Well, I don't think we call it. She's their fourth. She's their classroom teacher. Yeah, yeah. And she's interesting. She's Miss Grokey's the best. She okay, is, she's intended as a joke, but actually, she's really cool. Well, I feel like that's one of those times where we're like, we're gonna make this fucking hippie character, and she ends up being like, there's an a, a episode about Thanksgiving. And she's mm -hmm. like, and now you know why the undeserving white people were helped by the Indians. Yeah. And that is why it's we funny celebrate it's like, Thanksgiving. In the 90s when they made that character, they made her as like a like a joke. Like she was supposed to be a joke, like a caricature of like a hippie. But like she's aged much better than any of the other characters. Like now Miss Grokey is like woke. You know, and whenever Miss Grokey, whenever you see her legs, they're hairy. They go out of their way to draw her legs hairy. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things that, um, fucking SJW libtards <laughs> all getting cooked. <laughs> yeah, Miss Grokey's super cool. She's awesome. And, and yeah, she's the coolest. She's, she's the kind of teacher that would, would fit really well at a Montessori school. 
Oh yeah, for sure. She's like got like free expression time and stuff like that. Like, well, and, and like she, they, they have a class pet, and she teaches lessons about. She's the kind of teacher that shows like teachers are moral teachers as well as they are just like knowledge and facts. Yeah, for sure. Like, she's like, you know, whenever you hear part of her lesson, she's like, you know, she's the kind of teacher you would expect to assign, like, the the YA adaptation of, like, Howard Zinn to the students, you know? Or to, there have, is them, one. Or to have them do, like, plays about a period in history or uh, just just... A variety of class projects that I, I feel like I would have really liked as a kid. Oh, for sure. She's dope. She's very good. And her hobby is magic. So there you go. She's cool. Yeah, nothing nothing bad to say. And I'm pretty sure she's a woman of color, too. She looks like it. They never address it, but it's, like... Yeah, it's hard. It's one of those skin tone things in cartoons where you're never quite sure. Yeah. Um, could have just been they chose to use a darker shade of pink to represent, like, olive skin, but who who the fuck knows? Yeah, uh, unclear. Racially to, ambiguous. I'm going to interpret her as a woman of color. Yeah, there um, we go. Then there's the principal, who is a, a standard bureaucrat. Yep. I, he I works no on his golf game in his office and wants to get a promotion. <laughs> I, have, I have nothing else to say other than... Uh, We've we we can do better. He's got a rock and mustache. Yeah, but every time I see it, I feel like gross. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't like mustaches. I just I don't. Okay. I, I don't, and they always make me feel weird. Oh, I don't care for them in real life at all. <laughs> um, there are a lot of side characters, and and I'm sure we'll they'll they'll come up. Uh, people like King Bob. <laughs> or the kindergartners, the way Randall, the way that they break the actual recess time into social groups is very interesting for me as a social psychologist, because basically recess is just kids playing as adults. And yeah. Like, and like, it's broken down on it's, it's a, like, it's a deeply class stratified society also. I, I would, I would say that it's more about hierarchies than class, but that's going to be, I, I feel like that might be, that's getting at hairs. I feel it's both like, mm -hmm. I, I classes don't do classes necessarily have to be hierarchical. Can they be horizontal? Um, well, I mean, Marx's definition of classes, like, doesn't necessarily preclude that, um, but it, your class is determined primarily by your relationship to the means of production, so in the sense that, like, there will be a class that has control of the means of production and one that does not kind of makes it inherently hierarchical, hard to say, hard to say. Hmm. That would be an interesting topic to study or to talk about. It we is. Won't, we won't do that here. All <laughs> I will say, all I will say is that uh, I, I see th they're very hierarchical by grade, by uh, position, like place on the playground. And I think clearly resources go to the people higher in the hierarchy 
through virtue of authority or force. Yeah. So in that, and in that, sometimes your sometimes your place in the hierarchy on the playground is determined by your access to material goods outside of the playground. For example, the Ashleys are all wealthy outside of the playground, which like contributes to their place like in the school's hierarchy or um, the Mon stickers episode, even though those function as a currency within the school, you know, you had to be able to use actual currency to purchase them to begin with. Right. Yeah. So um, that a lot of interesting sort of political things happen on the playground. And, and mm -hmm. so re as you might expect, recess is where most of the show takes place, like the period of recess. And our heroes, or I guess most of the time they end up as heroes, but they, they are our protagonists, generally have some issue that they need to overcome or some conflict occurring on the playground. And the way that it's arranged is that every grade gets a place on the playground. Uh, the sixth graders have basically this huge jungle gym castle all the way down to the kindergartners dress as tribal It's like kind people. of offensive. It's kind of offensive. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it... I feel like they could have communicated the barbarism of kindergartners in a, in a better way. But, yeah, they're um, supposed to be barbarians, and so they have them all dressed as, like... Like, if you were, like, made to, like, think, it's like, okay, think of, like, an Amazonian tribe, but, like, you didn't actually know anything about it, like, what you might come up with. So it's, like, random face paint and torn clothing and skirts and barefoot with spears. Though, I mean, truthfully, how many, how many pre-agriculture variations of spears can you make? <laughs> A surprising number, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that was partially, that was partially tongue-in-cheek. Um, <laughs> no, there's a, I mean, obviously there's a huge variety um, of, of things, and they definitely could have done a better job. But I think the fact that they paint kindergartners as these wild, like, they kidnap people, they, they threaten yeah. to eat people... Everybody if you separate is... that from, like, the racialized way they did it, it's really, it's a really good bit. Like, everybody is scared of the kid. Like, that's the weird thing, is that everybody's terrified of the kindergartners. Including adults. Like, they, they just let them play, play uh, Heart of Darkness over, over in their little corner of the world. Yeah, absolutely. There's like one time where you see them, uh, the Barney analog for the show, they, you see them literally worshipping it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really, oh my god, that, that episode got a laugh out of me. Yeah, like once I like adjusted to the fact that like, alright, I know that this, like it was a racially insensitive way that they chose to depict their barbarism and it's uncomfortable. Like once you just adjust to the fact that you're like, I know that this is bad. Like you're like okay, but the bit, the bit, the bit is still good. Yeah, the, this the is bit itself the, is good. I feel like this is one of those times where you could make an argument for you know what the comedy is still there. 
Yeah, I mean, like, they could have, you know, like, basically the only thing that they needed to do to fix that is, like, I don't know, like, make them dress like, like, a Till the Hun or something, and it still conveys that they're, like, barbarians, but doesn't have, like, uncomfortable stuff about colonialism, <laughs> you know? Yeah, choose, like, yeah. an actual barbarous people's... Not, not people's... Or just, like, like a, an, an, an ancient an ancient version of barbarians, where it's not, yeah. like... Not, like, loaded with, like, weird colonialist overtones, right? <laughs> so, the <clears throat> kindergartners have a wall around their space, too. Like, everybody shuts them in. Yeah. Um, or keeps them out. Or both. Though we get to form relationships with some of the kindergartners later, and some of them have really cute little personalities. Gus and Mikey get the closest relationships with kindergartners. There's Tubby who's the fat kindergartner. So, of course, Mikey's also fat, so they have a relationship. Um, and But it's actually, like, it's based a lot in the fact that, like, they deal with, like, shitty stuff from other kids because of being fat. And so they bond over that. Um, and then there's the other one who, I don't know what his name is, but he calls Gus Safety Man, and they have a very adorable relationship. And then... Uh, there are various parts of the playground that the rest of kids have. The fourth graders kind of just seem to go wherever. Yeah, it's like... It's less that, like... You get the feeling that the sixth graders have control over the jungle gym simply because that's where Bob sits. And um, the kindergartners are penned off. But everybody else seems to be... Like, where they go has to do more with their social group than their grade. So, the... The the playground is organized into kind of like a feudal society where everybody has to come petition the king for things. And the and king he wears like a hockey jersey and a weird helmet. And he's got the the biggest unibrow. Like outside Oh my of, god, it's insane. <laughs> outside of Ed from Ed Ed and Eddie. Uh mm -hmm. we're gonna do that show one day and I cannot wait. Um Oh god. <laughs> I dread it. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. Um, I wasn't supposed to watch that show as a kid because, to quote my mother, it looks like it was animated with a strobe light, and I can feel my brain melting as I watch it. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll get to revisit our great boys versus girls liking cartoons discussion. Because I feel like that show is a prime example of a boy show. Um, For sure. But anyway, so Bob... And, you know, the king, he periodically, on a fucking palanquin. gets <laughs> <laughs> carried around like a palanquin. Oh, by the way, this is a K through six elementary school, not a K five. Yeah, so he tromps around his lands, periodically interceding. I feel like part of the reason he exists is just to give some semblance of legitimacy and order to the proceedings on a playground that otherwise would never happen. Yeah, like, when there are disputes about, you know, what the rules are or whatever, King Bob intercedes, right? Actually, and the best King Bob episode is when he learns about pyramids, and he, like, tries to get the kids to build a pyramid. And what's hilarious is that they, like, build it out of mud brick, and they throw a whole, like, slave revolt because he institutes slavery essentially um and but what's funny is that it rains and so the mud bricks all dissolve and i'm like dude like all of historical societies used mud brick they don't dissolve in the rain 
<laughs> that's like a you're like Deus Ex Machina like doesn't actually work. <laughs> it doesn't hold well, up to okay. scrutiny. <laughs> but those societies were not also building mud bricks via child like children were True, not- they were baking them. They were in kilns like Yeah, Paige. Come on. Kilns. <laughs> um so uh, I I Bob is not He's not a bad person. He's like he's a um we he's see, an enlightened despot. We, you know? we yeah, we <laughs> so I don't know why. <laughs> applying the words enlightened despot to a to a show like this just tickles me. It, you know, the Sun of, King would approve of Bob's methods of ruling. <laughs> it's kind of like the the essence of um like we're very pompous about our animation. <laughs> His god king on his throne, <laughs> handing down rational precepts to his people so that they may prosper. Um, yeah, that's the kind of king Bob is, though. Like, that's clearly the way he sees himself. Well, no, no, no. And, and we, we see that other people in power would be much worse. Not that Oh, yeah, that, for sure. Not when Gus is substitute king? Holy shit. Not that that's a great explanation. Uh, justification for a an authoritarian style of government but but considering that there is not it's a monarchy and it, it, it's a mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's a divine right mo- monarchy yeah like it's not clear the source of legitimacy is not clear because i always just assumed oh the king's always a sixth grader but at one point they talk about they're like oh he was the youngest king to ever ascend and like as a third grader i'm like where does legit like where where is the legitimacy of the king like from whence does he derive his authority and i feel like that's just one of those things that uh the show is just like we're not going to worry about that but we're not going to address this political it, as a point of political theory we're like hmm Surely he must derive his power from the like the children's belief that there must be a king. Surely that must be it. And there's something something about Bob must have made him fit to be king, right? It's Why his, isn't somebody it's else his king? Unibrow. Yeah, it must be because no one ever <laughs> tries to over no one ever tries to overthrow Bob. No one questions Bob's right to rule. You know, except for when they had to have a slave revolt because he was making them build a pyramid, and they just like were like. You can't do this to us. And he's like, you're right. I'm sorry. I will be a better king now and I won't do this. And they're like, okay, you can keep being king. I mean, that's episode number two where Gus comes to the school and he's officially labeled by the king as the new kid, which is basically you have no name. You are. He's basically branded as an untouchable. And, yeah. And he he eventually is encouraged by everybody to stand up to the king and say, no, my name is Gus. And the king's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and then the old new kid is like, what the hell, man? I was the new kid for three years. And the king is yeah. like, you should have said something. Yeah, it's weird because it's like, it's definitely a monarchy and he has absolute authority, but it appears that he has some sort of like popular legitimacy. It's strange. Well, and, unless we forget that he's still a kid and kids of his age still like work for him and are necessary to uh, like enforce. It's almost like, um, it's almost like a Viking King situation. You know, it's almost like a tribal King situation where it's like, okay, you're like the first among equals. Like we've decided that you get to be King because like, you're the best, you know? 
Well, and I, it's implied that Bob, because he wear, he uses a hockey stick and he wears a jersey, it's implied that he's athletic. But we never see him do anything. So it's very possible that his authority partially derives from his ability to be the toughest sixth grader. Yeah, like physical strength. Yeah. Though, if that's the case, Vince should be king. Right. Like we said, he's the most physically fit kid in the entire school. I'm just saying it. Disney was not ready for a black king. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, Even though Simba and Mufasa were kings and, you know, Mufasa was voiced by a black man. Yeah, yeah. And child child Simba was a black child. Adult Simba was... Matthew Broderick, but <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, yeah, so the, I don't know the, the political goings on of the show provide for a lot of fodder, and our mm-hmm. I, I I don't know I kind of like watching it. It, it it it's fun to me to watch all of yeah. these. Well, and and what's really funny is that they the show implicitly does this thing that kids naturally do, which is they reproduce aspects of adult behavior which are completely devoid of context or motive. Mm-hmm. So they, they, uh, they reproduce bureaucracy, like unnecessary yeah. bu- bureaucracy. And yeah. It, like having like books of rules for no real reason. They have a fucking constitution of the playground. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, um, that's where the king like derives s- his right. From the Constitution. The Constitution is like, <laughs> it's like they, they, there is no state of nature. Like, okay, the kindergartners are the state of nature. But once you are no longer a kindergartner. But the kindergartners have their own king. They have the kid who wears the crown. And he was leading the bonky worship. <laughs> like, so it's almost like there's no state of nature. That there is always a social contract. Yeah, and it, it just bends towards authoritarianism. Yeah. For sure. Um, hang on. There's someone knocking on the door at my house. That's spooky. Hi. Hi. Uh, Blake, did you order food? Okay, cool. Thanks. Oh, good. Thanks. All right. Sorry about that. No, it's fine. <laughs> my um, boyfriend's food was arriving. <laughs> so, I, I feel like, aside from that, we, we get some minor, I don't know. We can talk about the Ashleys. Oh, God. They're... Okay. So they're terrible. Um, they're, they're the plastics of recess. Yeah, they're like the Heathers, you know? Like, the whole point, it's like, it's it's a nod to Heathers, right? Um, and so they're wealthy. They're extremely wealthy. Um, and it kind of... There's, like, a little bit of low-key, like, wealth is bad. You know, they're all spoiled rich girls. But they also, um, they also stand in for femininity being bad because none of the other girls on the show are traditionally feminine. Um, and the only girls who are traditionally feminine are like horrible. And so the things that they like are also portrayed as like inherently horrible. Yeah. So we've got Gretchen who isn't a tomboy, but she is she does occupy that uh, intellectual niche that does not mm-hmm. typically include feminine traits. 
And yeah. Spinelli, who is a tomboy. Mm-hmm. So for our main yeah. cast, we don't we don't get a lot of femininity. But arguably the most feminine character is Mikey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he is, you know, gentle and believes in peace and likes poetry and dance, right? Right. And wants to do things like helping the homeless because it helps the homeless rather than through like winning a canned food drive. That episode, by the way, is a great metaphor for privilege oh for sure because for sure basically uh the ashleys are in a grade above them no they're just another fourth grade class shit okay so yeah they're in another fourth grade class and the 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 school does one of those things that all the 90s schools did i remember my school doing it they did Mm -hmm. food can drive competitions where classes would get an award if they brought in the most cans and the Ashleys win every year, or their class wins every year, because we find out their parents are rich and they just buy the cans. Um, yeah, they just buy a shitload of canned food. And Mikey's like, you know what? I don't care. I just want to help people. And if they if they buy all those cans to help people, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But all the other kids are like, nothing, no matter how hard we try... We cannot beat them because their parents will just buy stuff. And I'm just like, yeah. damn girl, you just like elucidated privilege. Yeah, it's it's like weird because it's like there are lots of reasons why the Ashleys are actually like bad people because it's like, you know, like they have undeserved wealth and they like exercise their privilege to keep everyone else down and they're just like mean and hateful but, like, wrapped up in that is, like, they're the only characters we see, even the other girls, like, who like, like, traditionally feminine things. They like fashion and tea parties and dolls and makeup and boys. And so they kind of implicitly are saying that those things are also bad. Like, nobody else likes them and they show active distaste for them. So it's almost saying that, like... They've wrapped up femininity in this package with other bad things, and it ends up sending the message that femininity is also bad. But they are also just bad people. Yeah, they're just mean. They're not nice. Like, they're, they're not... They're not... They're closer to the Mean Girls portrayal of the Heathers than, like, other shows do. Because mm-hmm. they they have very few, if any, redeeming qualities. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. They're just the worst. Yeah, and it just, like, there are lots of other bad things about them, but it did make me feel kind of weird how it seemed to, like, package in, like, femininity and feminine things and things that teenage girls like as, like, part of what's bad about them. Yeah. Collateral damage, if you mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a big one, big thing, like a big underlying message of the show that really bothered me <laughs> was oh. the way that the Ashleys were portrayed. And I, I think that the show is focused a lot on, strangely enough, a big theme of the show is liberty, even though they submit to a, a, a monarch. 
it's like it's liberty versus conformity. Well, and I feel like uh, kids within themselves perpetuate this class system while when they fight against adults or true authority figures, it's always like, Viva la resistance! Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird because it's like, when they're fighting against, like, adults, they they get, like, super, like, um, like, libertarian in, like, the original sense of the word, not libertarian as in, like, the right-wing political movement, but, like, you know, like, libertine, almost, you know, um, and they're willing to, like, you know, protest and do all kinds of stuff like that. But when it comes to like the more arbitrary forms of authority that they perpetuate against each other, they're pretty much always just like, no, this is just how it is. And it will, maybe one kid will rebel against it. You know, like there are a lot of episodes where all the kids are like, yeah, that's just like the rules. That's just how things are. And one kid is either being like victimized by it or speaking out against it. So I feel like in that respect, it's, good that kids see that stuff like that there there are times where you should stick up for other people because it's the right thing to do yeah i mean that's a big part of the show and that's like kind of why tj is still the main character of the show is because like something bad will be happening to one of the other kids in the group and then they'll try and figure out all kinds of ways around it that are just They don't work. They're not ways of actually confronting the problem. And then in the end, TJ will say, you know what we need to do? We need to stick up for our friend um, and say that this is wrong or put ourselves on the line in solidarity. There's a lot of like there's a big it's weird because there are like. Most of the political underlying political messaging of the show, I think, is like pretty. If not right wing, then just like centrist you know, um, in terms of the American political spectrum, but they show solidarity as like a very real tool a lot in the show. Yeah. And there's a T I feel like TJ himself is a very interesting characterization of the rebel because he's not, not, he's not really aggressive. All of his, all of his resistance is guile, guile Mm -hmm. and charisma. Yeah. Like, TJ is definitely, like, barred class. <laughs> you know, well, like, he, he doesn't really fit, like, there's there's this certain kind of heroic character. They always ride on them in their horse, and they always do the right thing. And they're sort of like this bland, typically male version of the rebel or the hero. And I feel mm-hmm. like he doesn't fit that as well. Like, he's, in a lot of ways, he's softer, but he's also smarter and not tough like he's 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 got a lot of willpower well he's a wise guy you know like it's interesting because tj you know a lot of adults have a real conflict with tj because if you were an adult and you knew tj you would have conflict with him like tj is not a traditional good guy he's like a mischief maker and like a schemer (laughs) You know, he's like a, he's almost like if you were to take that character and put it in a more traditional role in like adult media, he would be like a crook with a heart of gold. We'd kind of be what TJ is. But he's got, uh, it's hard to say if he would end up 
committing actual crimes. Well, crimes, though, because he wouldn't because his moral compass is too strong because they find a $100 bill and he's really excited about splitting it with his friends. And then he was like, someone goes, man, we're lucky someone lost this. And he goes, oh, wait, nope, someone lost this. That means we have to give it back. You know, and, and it's just like... As an adult, I feel like all of that would get channeled into either civil disobedience or misguided authority challenging in his everyday life. Yeah, I feel like TJ just, like, grows up to be a libertarian, unfortunately. <laughs> Oof. Yikes. Yeah, I don't know. It's just that, like, there's something... See where these Despite 20 cartoon all... characters ended up today. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's just something... I'm having a hard time, like, putting my finger on it. You know, but there's something about him and his character that I just don't see TJ becoming like a left wing activist, despite his like belief in like his belief in freedom and like in showing like solidarity with your with your friends and stuff like that. It's too. Could it be that everything works out his way? Everything always works out his way. When he doesn't ever have to put, like, effort into it. And his solidarity is only, like, with an in-group. Like, it's only with his friends. You know? Um, and I, so there's something... Uh, he, sticks his, he sticks his head out for Gus before he's in their group. He sticks, mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know. I feel like his... If you think of the playground as his in-group... Yes. I suppose. I suppose. I don't know. There's something about him that just feels like, um, okay, so my mom would have said, like, Eddie Haskell-y, you know, like, um, the character Eddie Haskell from Leave it to Beaver, um, how he was really, like, super polite to, and it's not the same because it's, he's literally, he's not exactly the same as Eddie Haskell, right? But, you know, Eddie Haskell was, like, super polite to the parents and, like, all, like, kissing ass and everything, but then he was, like, a miscreant. And there's something about TJ that just has that feeling to me, that, like, slightly slimy feeling. I, I don't know. I didn't get as much of that. Sliminess. Yeah, I don't know. I'm having, a, I'm having a hard time putting my finger on it. It's just something that I, like, feel... Because it's, like, TJ's also a really good main character, but just something about him. I don't Isn't know. I'm just like, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe it's that he just never has to try at anything and everybody likes him. Or, like, there's this whole episode where there's this one kid who doesn't like him. And TJ's just so fucking desperate to be liked by this kid. Like, he just can't deal with the fact that there's well, someone who doesn't like him. So sometimes behavior like this uh, is narcissism masquerading as vir virtuosity. Mm -hmm. So it could be... People being obsessed with other people not liking them could be a sign of narcissism. It could also be a line of or a sign of low self-esteem. So mm -hmm. it's it's hard to tell because sometimes those insecurities are connected to narcissism, and other mm -hmm. times it's it's a low regard for oneself that is actually the motivator. So uh, it's 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 hard to tell. Because it could be, it is. he could be a budding narcissist. Maybe that's what you're sensing. Because yeah. he's I, maybe, maybe. liked and charismatic, which is a trait of a narcissist. Like one yeah. of, like one I of feel the like, possible traits. Like TJ could end up being like a cult leader. 
you know, <laughs> under the right circumstances, I was just saying that that he he's got such an affinity for leadership skills that without that moral compass, he kind of becomes a dubious possibility. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, so it's just like there's some like the show wants me to really love TJ, but there's just something preventing me from wholeheartedly loving TJ. There's something that makes me feel wary of TJ. But as a kid, he's just likable. Like, yeah. If, if I were a kid, I, I was like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just because like a lot of the people who have treated me really horribly in my life were like really charismatic people. And so now I'm just like distrustful. <laughs> it's possible. That would be a reasonable, that would be a reasonable possibility. Yeah, it could be that, you know, who knows? Because I'm not even sure what it is. I can't articulate it. Hmm. Um, I, I, social, psychologically for me, social norms play a heavy role in the show, whether it's conforming to them or breaking them. And, and that, seeing that in like a kid's show is interesting because kids are experiencing those things as they watch the show. And I feel like watching mm -hmm. this show, I was like, yeah, look at these people like standing up for what's right. Even when it breaks social convention and you go to schools and it's just not like that at all. No, no, it's really not. I don't know. I think that like, um, the, like, underlying political messaging of the show is weird because it's, like, all of the, like, unstated underlying stuff of the show is very much, like, your classic Disney, like, the way that society organizes things is, like, fine and good. But, like, the stuff that's on the surface because it's trying to, it's trying to teach kids how to navigate, like, social environments um, and so the stuff that they explicitly say in the show is that, like, sometimes you got to go against what, you know, other people say, which is a lesson that we explicitly teach children when it comes to other children. But that we but the subtext is like, oh, no, 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 we didn't mean do that towards us, just other children. And that's kind of what the show's doing, too. It's explicitly saying, like fuck the system, but the underlying messages are saying, like, no, don't do that. There are... Hmm. I'm digesting that. I've never had to digest something for this long on our show. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I was... I, a part of me wasn't expecting to think so hard. Not, not that recess doesn't deserve it, it's just... I thought I had thought about that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. o overall, I can see the mixed message idea here. Because I, I feel people get punished for deviation quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And even when like kids stick up for themselves... It, it always kind of feels like, well, deviation is a struggle, which I don't know. Maybe that's a good lesson to to teach people that it, it's tough. It's almost like there's like an acceptable range of deviation. And it's about like establishing and agreeing upon what is the acceptable range of deviation. Right. Yeah, it's like, oh, there's like 
the digger twins or swing girl. It's like all these people have their niche and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. go and niche too far. Exactly. And oh, everybody loses their mind. Yeah. Or just like the idea of like, so there are going to be people in authority and those people are going to be cruel and you can resist those people to the extent of getting one over on them, but you cannot change the fundamental relationship that you have to the person in authority, mm, right? Because that's kind of the yeah. relationship they have to adults. You know, they're always like getting one over on authority figures or like forcing authority figures to agree to a really minor concession but it's always something that's surface level and that they can never fundamentally change the relationship they have to miss finster though it'd be hard to imagine she would acquiesce to any change Mm-hmm. which actually... yeah it's primarily it's it's an even higher authority who is more beloved benevolent and will intercede right that's pretty much how always when they're fighting against when they're fighting against legitimate sources of authority, like adults in their life, those people are always like misusing and abusing their authority and like oppressing the children and they fight against it. But the way that it ultimately gets solved is an even higher authority comes in and is benevolent and intercedes on their behalf. One time it's a really, really super rich guy who secretly owns the entire town who comes and tells the city council to leave them alone. I don't know what you're talking about. I really like it when our, when our rich overlords come down <laughs> and save us. <laughs> they're truly angels in disguise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're the best. I love it. In, in the little time we have left here, do you want to say anything about, I don't, my mind is going to Rodney. His name isn't Rodney. Randall. Randall. Do you want to talk about Randall? Randall's a little fucking scab piece of shit. <laughs> Fuck Randall. I knew that I'd He's a collaborator. <laughs> I knew, I, I knew that that's where you would go. I knew that that's what you would say and you didn't disappoint me. Because, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a good metaphor for a class traitor. Oh, yeah, he absolutely is. Like, if, like, like, honestly, if, if Randall had lived in Nazi Germany, he would have been a collaborator. Like, he's the worst. He's, he's and he's, he's, you know, he's a tattletale, but he is, ta he's a tattletale because it benefits him to be one. Yeah, he's not, he's not a morally, he's not a moral watchdog. He's like, Miss Fenster. These mm -hmm. kids are running on the playground and she gives him half of her pickle and herring sandwich. Ugh. Or like cookies and stuff, yeah. And, and um, he, 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 he snitches because it benefits him emotionally and resource-wise. And status-wise. Yeah. And he'll intentionally try and set kids up, too. Like, he doesn't... It's like an obsession with the minutia of rules... But because they, because of the relate access they give him to a figure of authority, he doesn't actually give a shit about the rules at all. And in fact, he will break the rules if he thinks he can get away with it, or if he thinks he stands to benefit more from it. Like when he starts the food fight. Yeah, or he he throws a rock and hits his head. Yeah, to try and frame Spinelli. 
That episode has the kids organized into a court of law with due process. So it's amazing. <laughs> although the king is like, wait, wait, we can't just give him a swirly. We have to give him a fair trial and then give him a swirly. So it's, <laughs> it's like a kangaroo court. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, we just need to appear like we're giving him due process because that's not because it's just, but because that's the way it's supposed the, the to be. The way the things are done. Yeah. Yeah. So. Our philosopher king is 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 not oh so wise sometimes. Yeah, but I, no, I mean he's still eleven. <laughs> <laughs> we still got a trial for eleven year olds. That's pretty good. It's pretty damn good. Um, but yeah, Randall's a snitch. And oh yeah, he's the worst. Don't be a Randall, kids. I mean, and that's pretty clearly a message of the show. <laughs> Yeah, except for for TJ pulls a um, radical centrist move and has a heart to heart with Randall. And he's just like, you know, I don't agree with you snitching, but you do what you got to do. We're all looking for a place in this world. Go be a snitch. (laughs) I'm like, radical centrist. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he grows up to be some kind of libertarian, right? <laughs> like, okay, but, like, there are really funny moments in the show where, like, for example, there's an episode where, you know, there are times where Randall, like, sees that things are fucked up and he'll team up with them or something. And I can't remember which one it is, but I think it's an episode where something fucked up is happening to TJ and uh, Randall comes over and is informing them of what's going on. He's sitting there and they're like, we got to make a plan. And they're like, not you, Randall. Sorry, you gotta go. And he's like, no, I can't be trusted. I understand. <laughs> he's fully aware. Yeah. Fully self-aware. Which makes it worse. I don't know. It was a funny joke, though. No, it was the, a good bit, joke. the bit was really funny. Yeah, it was really, really funny. But, um, yeah, I also, let's see, a couple of, like, there were a couple of other little things that got to me. Oh, um... Let's see, uh, we get a episode where it says that in order to be creative, you have to be a mess, that uh, organization and structure in your life stifles creativity, and that to be a creative person, you have to just be like a complete mess, which is just not true. Like, I can't imagine that a room full of professional writers like would actually <laughs> sit there and write that down, knowing that some of the most successful creatives in history were extremely regimented and organized yeah, in the way that they ran their lives. How could they keep the dream of La Bohème alive? Yeah. And it's like, I was just thinking, you know, like my very good friend, Sam Huntley, um, from college, he, uh, he is one of the most talented writers I know. And to him, it is work. And he will say, yeah, I, you know, I write for four hours every day and then I, you know, read for two hours. You know, he has this very specific schedule and he views it as like an occupation that he approaches with the same kind of organization that you would approach any other work with. Right. And he's and it's it's a good method for him. Like he's successful at it. So I just think that that message is bizarre. It's a weird message to send children uh, especially because, like, you know, you need to, like, make your way through school and you will not be able to do that if you're, like, a fucking wreck and completely disorganized. Artists 
do not have to be. In fact, I would argue that uh, psychologically highly conscientious people are likely to be able to successfully exercise creativity in a productive manner, more so than unorganized individuals. But uh, we look at people like Jackson Pollock and we're like, damn, that guy was a mess. Look what he did. Fake, though, not real. Like, he used complex math. <laughs> I know. I know. I know, but that breaks against the... Or, or Vincent Van Gogh. Like... Oh, poor Van Gogh. He, he yeah. was, and, and that, like, a lot of that wasn't his fault that he was a mess, but it's, yeah. it's that romantic, it's the romantization of the starving artist. Yeah, which is, like, bad, because it's, like, you know, people will be like, well, if Fitz Van Gogh hadn't had, like, severe mental illness, we wouldn't have gotten his beautiful paintings. And it's like, I don't know, maybe if Vincent Van Gogh didn't have severe mental illness, we would have gotten 30 more years of his beautiful paintings. Yeah. It's like when you look at uh, Picasso's work, he starts mm -hmm. out as, like, a very traditional... Representational. Portrait ...portraitist. Yeah. And then it's only by his late years that he's drawing crazy things not literally crazy yeah. but like crazy creative things mm -hmm. and that wasn't the product of a mental disorder that was the aging like a fine cheese yeah yeah for sure okay and then there's another like specific episode that i have a really annoying analysis of um the election episode you've seen that one right the yeah. vince v gretchen okay so at first you watch it and you're like Oh, yeah, this is nice. You know, like Vince is running just as a popularity contest and like Gretchen has a real like program of government. And so like, um, you know, they do an election and it's split based on, you know, identity lines. But then Vince realizes that she's really the better person for the job. What a great episode about elect electoral politics, except for no, it's actually bad. Vince, <laughs> Vince is a populist and a man of the people, whereas Gretchen is a technocrat. And when she reveals her program, she literally refers to it as an austerity program. And she has like a thousand point program to improve the school by doing things like turning off low traffic water fountains. What neighborhood of the school are the low traffic water fountains in Gretchen? Who's that going to affect? <laughs> Well, okay, she's the perfect example of ideas without context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like, a, she's a technocrat. And, like, the desire, like, the, the portrayal of Gretchen's program as being good is, like, a super, like, neoliberal, like, 90s through present-day idea that we can have better government if we have people who are just, like, experts in like policy or who are really good at science and that will mean that we have better government but it doesn't necessarily mean that and in fact it's caused a lot of problems though it's mm, i don't know i'm not a technocrat but sometimes i'm like you know what science like a, a biologist or a medical person should write medical policy uh, yeah, it's like it's complicated because I don't want to say that like expertise doesn't matter and that we shouldn't listen to the opinions of people who have legitimate expertise in various fields about things that are germane to that field. But at the same time, like what technocracy has actually gotten us is like ex this extremely wonkish approach to policymaking where everything is like 
means tested down to like the thousandth of a percent and you know that things will be more efficient if we turn off like low traffic water fountains and stuff like that where it's like that doesn't necessarily actually improve people's lives that doesn't actually lead necessarily lead to good or better governance i feel like there needs to be a distinction made then between increasing efficiency and improving conditions because those are expert like those are two very different goals that i feel Mm -hmm. like technocrats well they've been they've been conflated they've been conflated for the past 30 years that improving the you know, um, the improving the efficiency of and the like specificity and the level of expertise and the scientificness of government will lead to better governance and lead lead to an improvement of conditions for people. And they're not the same thing, and that's not true, and it didn't happen. And so I'm calling recess out for buying into that. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I- it's sort of the the idea that like oh Gretchen's really smart she'll be good at governance and that's not yeah. those things can often be related but they don't necessarily mean they are yeah yeah exactly like I don't know because it's like the her flagship thing is wanting to do a council of students which is a really cool idea and interesting and would increase representation but she also has a thousand point austerity program like why does the school need an austerity program Gretchen Yeah I feel like that must have come out of something like I don't know it kind of felt like it was out of left field Yeah well it's exactly the kind of thing it I'm not going to get into a whole like political science class about the last 30 years of international government and policymaking and like the Washington consensus and the neoliberal policy project pushed on the world by international actors such as the World Bank and the IMF. But it's coming from that. It's coming out of that area is where it's coming from. I guess I just wonder where the writers got it from. Well, it's they would have heard it on the news because Uh, it was being actively pushed like all over the world particularly in what we would call like the developing world or the former third world but that begs the question would vince have been any better that's true he has no expertise in anything uh he's just a man of the people with no uh no policy platform of any kind he's just a really good kicker He's like Donald Trump. Oh my God! Oh, oh, oh my God! Hillary! Oh my God! Uh, the perfect metaphor. <laughs> uh, the perfection of it is giving me chills. Oh, it just maps too perfectly. Recess predicted the 2016 election. Except uh, Donald Trump. Move over, Simpsons. Except Donald Trump was the Obama in this scenario because Vince yeah. was a black man. Oh, my God. Oh, and Hillary, you know, actually won in this scenario. Hey, she won the popular vote. <laughs> um, oh, that's wild. I can't believe I didn't realize it until I just completely talked through it. <laughs> what show is going to predict the 2020 election? I don't know. Oh, Lord. 
I don't know, it's it's probably gonna be Adventure Time, and we're gonna have like a Princess Bubblegum versus King of Ooh situation, where you're like, oh, both of you seem like really actually like scary authoritarians, <laughs> like underneath the surface. All I know is that Prim- Princess Bubblegum did nothing wrong. <laughs> She's a complex figure. <laughs> Who likes to dabble in dark magic? But whatever. Yeah, you know, just like whatever. It's fine. Um, yeah, just don't look behind the curtain. Um, so overall recess was fun. I enjoyed watching it again. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was fun time. It's entertaining. We're done with dizzy. So now we're moving on to the WB. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, so we'll see. I have, I have a feeling we'll have a couple of, uh, one episoders, coming up here who knows yeah maybe, probably maybe animaniacs will surprise me yeah i like i'm assuming it's gonna be a one episode but who like maybe it'll be actually really rich hello nurse <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah um we're gonna get to some shows that like i did not really watch as a child um and that i think that I'm not going to say anything because I haven't watched it, but like, Jackie. it seems like we're, we're likely approaching the first time I'm going to get on the show and just be like, this show was annoying. <laughs> Good. I'm going to push. But you I don't of, know that for sure. I could be surprised. I'm going to push you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And then we'll swing for back sure. around. What? To Cartoon Network. I don't, I think, I don't think we've, uh, we haven't developed a plan, um, a specific plan past WB, so. What? You know. You don't have a five-year plan? Yeah, you know what, actually, that's a thing that's, um, so we're not going to constrain ourselves to shows that were made specifically when we were children after this, and we're not going to be constrained to, like, going in patterns with the networks, um, so, you know, like, hit us up. Like, what's a show that you would like to... We have three shows from the WB we're going to cover, and then we're going to start, you know, just picking shows because that's what we feel like watching. Um, so hit us up. Like, what's one, something you're really excited to see that you want to hear us talk about really soon? Please don't say Adventure Time or Gravity Falls or Steven Universe because we're going to get to those. Uh, you have to give us time. <laughs> you have to give us time. We need to feel confident going into those. <laughs> Um, so we'll get to those when we're ready. But other than that, like hit us up with shows that you want to like, hear us talk about. Uh, I'm, I'm Chris. And I'm Paige. Thank you for joining us today. This has been Animates. And uh, if you want to talk to us on social media, the place where you can tell us what shows you want to hear about, there we're at Animates on Twitter.com. We have a Facebook fan page, Animates Podcast. You can also email us, animates at gmail.com with the numeral 8 instead of the letters A-T. And as usual, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps other people find the show.